My husband and I have been married almost 21 years, and of that time together, I have been called to serve as the ward choir director at church. This year, I was released from that calling, and they've called a new director in as I've been asked to serve in other capacities. And it's been really fun for me to be a member in the choir instead of be a director. I have been learning a lot from this new perspective. One thing our new choir director tries to get us to do over and over is to sing out sing louder, everyone. She throws us candy bars. She says to us while we're singing, I'm running the vacuum. You'll have to sing louder for me to hear you. Pretend you're in the shower, sing out. She wants us to sing louder. As I've tried to give her what she's asking for, I've been surprised how much more volume that I have to give than what I ever knew. She even recorded us and played it back at practice. Wow, we sounded really good. I was a little unsure of singing out so much if I would blend, but when everybody was singing with their voices, we blended beautifully together. Today in this podcast, I want to talk about our voices, but not just our singing voices, our voices in the world, voices that stand for truth and righteousness. Joseph Smith wrote in the 11th article of faith, We claim the privilege of worshiping Almighty God according to the dictates of our own conscience and allow all men the same privilege. Let them worship how, where, or what they may. According to the dictates of our own conscience. That is a powerful and very deep concept, meaning that we will live and act and speak in a way that aligns with our deepest beliefs. But we have to know what our conscience is telling us. It is so easy to live the river of life by floating with all the powerful current of busyness, media influences, meeting other people's requests, and following what other people are doing. In the book of John, the Savior teaches, If ye continue in my word, ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. This life is a search for truth. The process of searching for truth requires a constant and deliberate check-in with our consciences. We have to study to know the truth. The Lord said in Doctrine and Covenants section 9, Behold, I say unto you that ye must study it out in your mind, and then you must ask me if it be right. Jesus Christ personally taught another indicator of truth to both the Jews and the Nephites when he said, By their fruits ye shall know them. This applies especially well to identifying good leaders and good individuals who we feel inclined to align our voices. When we study... And we begin to discern truth, and we pay careful and close attention to our conscience, then it is our duty to use our voice to speak up for truth and goodness. Jeffrey R. Holland said, quote, Many of us who are musically challenged have had our confidence bolstered and our singing markedly improved by positioning ourselves next to someone with a stronger, more certain voice. Unquote. Be very careful, though who you choose to stand by in the choir of life. 
Be selective in who you position yourself next to, as soon you will blend your voice with those around you. The most wicked leaders on earth have had powerful words and influence. In my high school history class, we had an assignment of reading and doing a report from a selected list of books. I was surprised to see that Hitler had written a book, and I was curious what he wrote about. I did not actually read the book all the way through, but I pulled several quotations from the book and wrote a paper making the point that he taught correct principles, but he used them for great evil. One quote I just remember offhand was having to do with putting ourselves outside of our comfort zones for the most personal growth. And I'm sure had I read the book more thoroughly, I could have detected evil and untruth. But the Savior did warn us about wolves in sheep's clothing and that Satan is the master of making evil look like goodness. I want to give you some other examples of powerful voices that have had much influence for good in this world, and particularly in the United States of America, as we are celebrating the 4th of July, one of my favorite holidays. On July 4th, 1776, these words were written by Thomas Jefferson, along with ideas and support from others. When, in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another, and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Prudence, indeed, will dictate the governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes. And according, all experience hath shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing invariably the same object evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. Such has been the patient sufferance of these colonies. And such is now the necessity which constrains them to alter their former systems of government. These words of our founding fathers stir something in my soul. They used their voices to stand up for truths they identified through study and discussion and using their conscience as a guiding light. The Declaration speaks up for the rights of free agency, human dignity, and the right for good government. We find similar ideas of righteousness in the Constitution of the United States of America as well as well in which the preamble says, 
We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. Unfortunately, some American leaders have not always stood for truth and righteousness, and we see this in the great battle to abolish slavery. And even many years later, we are moved by the words spoken by a great leader, Martin Luther King. In 1963, he demonstrated for us how to use our voices to speak out against wrong. In his great speech, we read this excerpt in which he refers to the Emancipation Proclamation, another great example of the voice of an individual, Abraham Lincoln, speaking out to abolish slavery as directed by his conscience. But the abolishment of slavery is only a basic step in the direction to correct something that should never have occurred if anyone had ever listened to their conscience. Much more needed to change. Here are some words by Martin Luther King as he uses his voice to speak out for human rights. Five score years ago, a great American, in whose symbolic shadow we stand today, signed the Emancipation Proclamation. This momentous decree came as a great beacon light of hope to millions of Negro slaves who had been seared in the flames of withering injustice. It came as a joyous daybreak to end the long night of their captivity. But 100 years later, the Negro still is not free. 100 years later, the life of the Negro is still sadly crippled by the manacles of segregation and the chains of discrimination. 100 years later, the Negro lives on a lonely island of poverty in the midst of a vast ocean of material prosperity. 100 years later, the Negro is still languished in the corners of American society and finds himself in exile in his own land. And so we've come here today to dramatize a shameful condition. In a sense, we've come to our nation's capital to cash a check. When the architects of our republic wrote the magnificent words of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, they were signing a promissory note to which every American was to fall heir. This note was a promise that all men, yes, black men as well as white men, would be guaranteed the unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It is obvious today that America has defaulted on this promissory note insofar as her citizens of color are concerned. Instead of honoring this sacred obligation, America has given the Negro people a bad check, a check which has come back marked insufficient funds. But we refuse to believe that the bank of justice is bankrupt. We refuse to believe that there are insufficient funds in the great vaults of opportunity of this nation. And so we've come to cash this check, a check that will give us upon demand the riches of freedom and the security of justice. We have also come to this hollowed spot to remind America of the fierce urgency of now. This is no time to engage in the luxury of cooling off or to take the tranquilizing drug of gradualism. It would be fatal for the nation to overlook the urgency of the moment. This sweltering summer of the Negro's legitimate discontent will not pass until there is an invigorating autumn of freedom and equality. 1963 is not an end, but a beginning. 
Those who hope that the Negro needed to blow off some steam and will now be content will have a rude awakening if the nation returns to business as usual. There will be neither rest nor tranquility in America until the Negro is granted his, citizen, his citizenship rights. The whirlwinds of revolt will continue to shake the foundations of our nation until the bright day of justice emerges. I need to interject something right here. By their fruits ye shall know them. Now listen to how Dr. King instructs his followers to use their conscience in avoiding violence and even to not harden their hearts, which is a principle we learn very closely from the Book of Mormon. He says, But there is something that I must say to my people who stand on the warm threshold which leads into the palace of justice. In the process of gaining our rightful place, we must not be guilty of wrongful deeds. Let us not seek to satisfy our thirst for freedom by drinking from the cup of bitterness and hatred. Now let's go to the Book of Mormon in Alma chapter 46 for a great example of of a leader of two leaders, one who used a voice of flattery and lies to win the people over so he could have power, and one who used his conscience and used his voice to speak for goodness. Amalekiah was was desirous to be a king. And there were some people who were also desirous that he should be their king. And they were the greater part of them, the lower judges of the land, and they were seeking for power. And there were many in the church who believed in the flattering words of Amalekiah. Therefore, they dissented, even from the church. And we see the great wickedness one very wicked man can cause to take place among the children of men. Yea, We see that Amalekiah, because he was a man of cunning device and a man of many flattering words, that he led away the hearts of many people to do wickedly, yea, and to seek to destroy the church of God and to destroy the foundation of liberty which God had granted unto them or which blessing God had sent upon the face of the land for the righteous sake. And now it came to pass that when Moroni, who was the chief commander of the armies of the Nephites, had heard of these dissensions, He was angry with the Malachiah, and so it came to pass that he rent his coat, and he took a piece thereof and wrote upon it, In memory of our God, our religion, our freedom and our peace, our wives and our children, and he fastened it upon the end of a pole, and he fastened on his headplate and his breastplate and his shields, and he girded on his armor about his loins, and he took the pole, which he had on the end thereof of his rent coat. And he called it the title of liberty. And he bowed himself to the earth and he prayed mightily unto his God for the blessings of liberty to rest upon his brethren so long as there should be a band of Christians remain to possess the land. As we enjoy our summer season and especially the celebration of the beginning of this great country, the United States of America, let's reflect on the voices who have contributed to making this world a better place. Let's each find a way to add our voice to the cause of goodness. We need everyone's voices blending together for righteousness. Elder Holland said, I would ask us, especially the youth of the church, to remember it is by divine design that not all the voices in God's choir are the same. It takes a variety, sopranos and altos, baritones and basses, to make rich music. To borrow a line quoted in the cheery correspondence of two remarkable Latter-day Saint women, all God's critters got a place in the choir. 
Surely it follows that in singing the anthems of eternity, we should stand as close as humanly possible to the Savior and Redeemer of the world, who has absolutely perfect pitch. We then take courage and hope from his melodious messianic intercession in our behalf. Thank you so much for listening today. I would love to know, who are the people that come to your mind when you think of voices standing for truth and righteousness? And I want to leave you with an invitation to continue the effort of heeding your conscience, finding your voice, and joining with others who stand for goodness. Bye. What the voice of truth tells me a different story.